God, even though he had committed to himself that he would not speak any longer on your behalf because what was taking place in his life, oh God, but such a burning took place that, Lord, that all he could do was to praise thee and to speak your words. And even with Daniel, Lord, in the lion's den, all he could do was praise you, Lord. The Hebrew children, all they could do is praise you in the midst of the fire. All that Paul and Silas could do while they were sitting in prison was to sing songs of praise and thanksgiving. It's not so much of what is happening to us in the very moment, but it's what has happened even in our path. Knowing your goodness, knowing your kindness, knowing your love, knowing how you have cared for us. That, Lord, even when the crisis comes into life, Lord, we still praise you. We still worship you because we understand how good you really are to each and every one of us. We don't deserve it, yet you smile upon us. We don't deserve it, yet every good and perfect gift comes from above. We don't deserve it, yet, Lord, you anoint our heads in the very presence of our enemy and you prepare a table for us, O God. And, Father, we thank you, O Lord for meeting each and every need that we have. You're good to us, Lord. And Father, you're faithful. How faithful you are. Oh God, we thank you, Lord, for keeping us, Lord. For we cannot keep ourselves. For the enemy desires to shift us this sweet. For Satan has come to destroy. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that though, Lord, though we are cast down, Though, Lord, we are mocked, though we may be made fun of, yet, Lord, we have the victory in Jesus Christ. For we are not defeated. We are not crushed. Because we know the one in whom we have believed. And we thank you, Lord, for raising us up and setting our feet upon solid ground. And, Lord, we thank you that we can live a life that is worthy, O God, of thee. For Paul declared that we should walk worthy of our calling. And Lord, we thank you through the power of the Holy Spirit that as believers in Christ Jesus, that we can walk in this world worthy of the name of Jesus. And Lord, that's our desire. To live for you. To live for you. To magnify you. To make you known. And Lord, we pray that Lord, that you would cause us to shine. That, Lord, you will provide all that we have need of. That people will even ask, how did this happen? And how did that happen? And where did this come from? It's because my God has blessed. My God has made it possible. And, Lord, we'll give you all the praise and we'll give you all the glory. And, Lord, we pray even at this very hour that you might speak to our hearts. Lord, we need to learn from you. Help us to sit at your feet, O God. And to learn from thee, O Lord. Teach us, Lord. Teach us how to walk uprightly with you. Teach us, O God, how to be your obedient children. Teach us, O God, how to be the saints of the living God. Teach us, O God, how to walk in righteousness and holiness. Teach us, O God. Teach us, I pray. Teach us that we might humbly walk with our God. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Oh, the Lord is so good. We're going to continue on in this whole area of our identity, in our area of our choosing. A lot of people say that they're Christians, but they don't identify themselves as Christians by the way in which they live. The mouth can say, Lord, I love you, but the heart can be where? Far from you. And that's what takes place oftentimes in many lives of the Christian that we're saying one thing, but it's not really happening. And you and I, we have to come to that place where we are willing to surrender and say, yes, Lord, yes, it is thee. It is thee. And see, what we have to understand is that we have a choice that we can walk in the flesh or the spirit or the spirit or the flesh. We have that choice. You either recognize who you are in Christ and then you choose. Understand this, though. Only the Christian, only the Christian, 
is able to walk in the spirit or to walk in the flesh. The unbeliever can only walk in the knowledge of the flesh. The unbeliever can only hear what his father Satan says. It is the believer who hears the Lord Jesus Christ. For he says, my sheep knoweth my voice. My sheep knoweth my voice. It is only the Christian who can choose to live by the Spirit in obedience of the Spirit or to grieve the Spirit, to quench the Spirit, not listen to the Spirit, and live in the flesh without the obedience of God or being under the covering of God. Or he is the one or she is the one who can say, I'm going to live under the covering and the blessings of my God. I'm going to live under the rule of the Spirit. Understanding that that war is always going on between the flesh and the Spirit. It's always there. But as you get accustomed to hearing the Spirit and walking with the Spirit and being obedient to God, you are crucifying this flesh and less authority will the flesh have over you. Your choice. In Galatians chapter 5, 19-21, it gives us the areas of the flesh, of the natural man, of the natural person, the, uh, the uh, sinful nature, in a sense. Then it comes right back and gives us the qualifications and the leading of the Spirit. And how the Spirit acts. So if what we're looking at first is the flesh. And then we're going to look at the empowerment or the empowerment of the Spirit in our lives. And we have to recognize we have the choice to live in the flesh and follow our sinful nature. Or live in the Spirit and follow Him. Oftentimes as Christians... We get confused on that because we do have a free will. It's that free will that makes that choice. Do I desire God's way or do I desire my own way or the way of Satan? Which way do you desire? That's your will now. That's your choice. That you make who you're going to follow. Who's going to lead you. Your choice. Flesh or spirit? Spirit or flesh? Which one? Now, last week we left off with this in Galatians chapter 5, 19. The list which mirrors the life of people in the world without Jesus. It mirrors the life of the Christian who is in disobedience to Christ and the Holy Spirit. It mirrors that life of that one who says they are a Christian and eventually really shows for if that person really is a Christian or not. Because a lot of us say we're Christians, but we don't want to be put to the test. And the Lord even tells us to examine ourselves, even when we look at things. Test yourself. Look at yourself. Isn't it strange when you're first after your driver's license and so forth, how often you'll go out and test yourself to see if you can what? If you can drive, to see if you can park the car, see if you can answer the question. You give yourself a test before you even go take the test. And the Lord is saying, we need to sometimes test ourselves. Who are you really following? Who are you really believing? Who are you really listening to? The list which mirrors the life of people of the world without Jesus fall into four groups. One, this area of sexual sins. Sexual sins. And if you look at it today, boy, we are in trouble. What we do not understand is this. When we do not allow ourselves to be governed the way God wants to govern us in this realm of the sexual area of our life, it causes a ton of problems in our life. It causes the guilt and the shame. It causes the withdrawal. It causes the belittlement, the, the, the self-worth of ourself. It causes psychological problems in mom, dad, and even children. 
We're going to look at the words some and we're going to examine them on that point. But he says those four areas are the sexual sins, false worship or idol, idolatry, which is always has in it the drug area. The drug area. Drugs. Remember, Satan is out to kill us. And oftentimes we don't take that very seriously. But we have more people leaving here now because of a drug, heroin. Because the whole process, overdosing and so forth. But they believe in nothing. And because they believe in nothing, they're stuck on this drug issue. And this drug issue leads them to death. In this whole process, then the faction, in-house fighting, all the things that take place with my anger, my wrath, my jealousy, and so forth. And then the final part is my appetite, my drunkenness, and my orgies. Orgies meaning more than just one partner. More than just one partner. Because you're never satisfied. Never satisfied. Now, the act of the sinful nature, the flesh, he says, is seen. Is seen. When you look at 519, go there with me in Galatians 519, he says, the acts of the sinful nature are what? Obvious. In other words, who's going to miss them? They're very obvious. You don't have to put a sign out on yourself saying, I'm sinning, everybody know it. What you think you're doing in secret is being revealed. He says it's very obvious. It's very obvious. Why? When a man commits adultery, you can't tell me the wife at home don't know something's going on. May not catch on very quick, but see, adultery and fornication changes our perspective. It changes our character. It changes us. So then we go into the house, into the company of people who know us, they recognize something's going on. That's why a young man who is still at home, boy, after he's been out for a night and been doing the wrong thing, go home, mama knows something going on. Mama washing his clothes. Mama's watching his behavior. Mama knows something's going on. You can't hide it. It's very obvious. Girlfriend, boyfriend, they know when somebody else is what? Has stepped in. Why? The character of the person changes. The personality of the person changes. The behavior of the person changes. This area changes us more than any other area in life. Psychologically. Mentally. It changes us. And he says, it's very obvious. It's very obvious. For some, it's very obvious because anything you say, you think you're better than me. Oh, you think this. Oh, you think that. No. People start telling what you think about them because the whole process is the type of lifestyle that they're living. I'll never forget. My brother was doing out in adultery and so forth. His wife stayed with me and my wife for a couple of days. We finally told, no, you have to go home sooner or later. We walk into the house. And what we saw was just indescribable. But the thing is, he's going to come up the next day. He's going to chew me out. Tell me, I don't think about him. I think he's some kind of boob laying out there in the street. Boop, 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 boop. No. You're my brother. I love you. I don't think that way about you, but that's how you think and feel about yourself. Oftentimes when people vomit up on you, there's something sick inside them. Something going on inside them. Hey. And he says, it's very obvious, the sins of the sinful nature. It's very obvious when you're not walking with the Lord. It's very obvious when you're not obedient to the Holy Spirit. It's very obvious when you're walking contrary to the scripture of what God has ordained for his people. He says, it's very obvious. Now, the sexual sins take us into this area 
of immorality. So when you get in Galatians 5, come on down in verse 21. I'm sorry, in verse 19 and 20. We're going to read them. What I did, I listed one side, and as I go through this, I will list what the King James has, which is on the right-hand side, in a sense, and what the NIV has on the left side. So it reads, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery. Those are the areas for sin. In the King James, it says adultery and fornication. They're together. And in most readings of Scripture, you would just see the word fornication, not the word adultery. Oftentimes, we don't understand adultery and fornication, so we're going to talk about it a little bit. Then impurity and uncleanness. And then debauchery and lasciviousness. The scripture tells us, flee from sexual immorality. Run from it. Run from it. Today, what we do, we run to it. We run to it not knowing the shame, the guilt, and the pain, and the hurt is going to leave us with. That's why he says, all other sins a man commits are outside the body. They hurt somebody else, really. Though you're doing the action, that sin that you do, even if when you sin and hit somebody, doesn't really hurt you, it hurts who? It hurts the other person you, you hit. You may feel bad that you did it later on, but that person feels it when? Right now. The effects are right now. When you lie on another person, don't really hurt you. You may feel bad about it later on if you get caught or whatever, but it does hurt who? That other person. When? Right now. It damages their character. It does something to them right now. The only sin that really comes back and really hurts us personally inside is the sexual sins. The sexual sins. They damage us emotionally because the moment a young man and a young woman sleep together is never forgotten. It's never forgotten. You can be 60 years old and you'll remember the first person you slept with. You'll remember it. The problem is, it keeps you from really being able to love the other person that really wants to love you. It hinders. It never sets you totally free. To trust and know what real love is. Unless God really does a work. It captivates in here. You always will feel misused, boy or girl. Misused. Abused. You always carry the guilt, the shame, the scar on the inside of how people may perceive you or think of you. It's always there. It never leaves. He says, flee from it. And we don't do it. We run to it. And Satan makes it look so good. He even makes it for a moment feel good. And after the action, it's all over with. If you remember David's son and his half-sister. Or he chased his half-sister. Until after they had slept together. And then he wanted nothing else to do with it. He says flee from it. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually. Sins against his own body. He hurts and brings damage to his own body. Now how do I hurt my own body? How do I do that? The psychological the guilt, the shame, the self-worth. There's so much that takes place in this area that damages us. How do we hurt the body? There are over 25 different STDs, and some of the most common ones are without cures. And we're not teaching that to our young men and women today. 
Everett Coop, a young girl in high school. I don't know how he figured that out. I was on my calculator trying to figure it out last night. But a young girl at one of his speeches came up to him afterwards and asked him how could she have safe sex. She was a virgin, but her boyfriend was pressing her to have sex. And he took a little time with him. And he asked her, do you know if he has had sex with anyone else? And she said, he has had sex with 11 other girls at the high school. And he simply said to her, if you have sex with that young man, you will not only be sleeping with just him, you will be sleeping with over 2,000 other people in whom he has slept with by by sleeping with 11 other people who have multiple, maybe, partners. Because what we don't understand is the fluids or certain parts of people, everyone we sleep with, it stays with us for about a 10-year period. Just can't go wash it out. Just can't go clean it up real quick. It stays with us. So he said, you would be sleeping with over 2,000 people most likely if you slept with this one boy who had had 11 other affairs. Not counting how many other affairs these other people that he has slept with has slept with. The United States government, Center of Diseases, says we spend $14.1 billion a year $14 billion a year over people's pleasures with STDs, some type of disease that the government has to spend just for the medication that the average person may not be able to afford to be able to take care of this. That does not become epidemic in our society. So the government spends over $14 billion a year on our sex desires trying to keep us clean up here. What would $14 billion do in our society if it was not wasted on that? Disease for Control says the age between this age, there's 19 million new cases per year of infections, of STD infections each year. Half are among people aged 15 to 24. 15 to 24. 15 to 24. I tell you, there are a lot of 15-year-olds that are what? D, hold on to him, put a rope on him, because these young girls don't care. (laughs) The, The whole process is that a lot of young men don't know the danger that they put themselves in. So I'm 15 years old, and I sleep with a young lady, and she becomes pregnant, and have my How do I take care of her? I can't even take care of me. Well, the whole process, when I slept with her, my plan was not to have a baby. My, my plan was just to have a good time, satisfy myself. Now I become 18, I take on a job, and here comes this notice from the court saying they want to take a hundred and something dollars out my pay. And I'm angry. She had that baby. I didn't. So now we got an angry young man. Not only angry at one woman, but all women who are trying to trick him into getting his money. And the anger just flares and it festers for years. You would think a lot of young men would say, that's my responsibility. Young men don't think that way. Because when I had sex with you, my goal was not having children. My goal was to have fun. Mm -hmm. Keep that in mind about the young man. Now, young people, not just about you. 
Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity. It doesn't matter anymore. There's no rules in sex. It's just pleasure. There's no rules about sex. It's just about pleasure. Enjoying ourselves. If there's two of us, three of us, four, it don't matter. And he says, so as to indulge in every kind of unclean sexual pleasure. Ephesians 4.19 Young people, I wish I could say in a sense that you were the leading group in STDs. The leading group in STDs today is between the age of 55 and 90. In our retirement center, sex is going wild. In our retirement community, sex has just went off the hook. Even to the place you would read that Medicare is looking at the issue. Medicare, and, and another, unless I did this study, Medicare is looking at giving people 65 and older sex counseling paid for. Recent centers in senior community increased twice as fast as the national average. From 2005-2009, report cases were up 87% among those 55 and older. You old folks are some active individuals. See? See why y'all need to go back to work? STDs are climbing among a certain segment of the population yet be relieved to know that it is not your teens you need to worry about it's your parents the study has also found that 80% of adults between 50 and 90 years of age, are sexually... Don't think you could get a little gray hair up there that you are no longer active. That is the biggest group, the senior group, with STDs. I would have never dreamed that or thought that if it was not in disease control report. Because oftentimes we think it's these teenagers out here being bad. There's a lot of things going on with these retired folks. Sexual immorality, adultery and fornication. Understand this. Adultery always referred to this. At least one or both adults are married. They're under a marital contract. The adultery always identifies that the person is at least married. One of them are married. Two single people cannot commit adultery. Because they are not under any vows. They're not under any contract. They're not under any commitment to anyone. So adultery is the word that always referred to the married individual because the married individual is under vows or a contract to another individual. What's happening in our culture today is this here. I don't want a contract. Isn't it strange? If you have somebody come and do your yard, you want a contract. Isn't it strange you want somebody to build you a house? You want a contract. Isn't it strange you go to work with people? You want a contract. But when you're going to sleep with somebody for the rest of your life, you don't want a contract. Only thing a contract says is this. You are legally bound to be faithful to carry out what you have promised this other individual that you will do. A woman or man who will listen to another woman or man say, I love you, but I don't want a contract with you is foolish because they're not going to keep their word. They've already said, I'm going to break my word. I'm going to get what I want and I might move on. I might not. I might stay a little bit longer, but there's no, no guarantee. And guess what? You can't cause that person to suffer one iota for breaking their word. The thing about the marriage vow is simply this, that when you break your word, you have to pay. You can go all the way back into Genesis and see that. 
And in Deuteronomy, you can see it. That when you break your vow, you have to pay. The marriage of vow is for the same reason. That if that woman is not work, she has somebody who will still take care. If that man had children with her, he legally has to pay to take care. It's a contract. You got all these foolish people today. And men today, when the woman makes more than you do, make sure you have a contract. Because she can pay too. See? This thing is well accepted today. Daddy can be home and play mommy. And mommy can go to work. And he can stay home and get a check once a month. It's going both ways. See? But I advise you to do it a biblical way. Adultery is one or both adults. One of them at least is married. In Mark 10, 8, it says the two become one flesh. Here comes the pain in adultery now. And we'll look at the pain from fornication too in a moment. But here's the pain with adultery. The hurt to your own body. Is self and wife or the husband. Why? Because you two become what? One. The hurt of the family, the children, and the in-laws. Can you see the hurt? When you go out as a married man, if I were to go out and have an affair with somebody, I don't only hurt Elaine as my wife. I hurt Faith. I hurt Tyler. And believe it or not, I hurt a lot of nieces and nephews because in their eyesight, where am I at? They hold all of us to a certain standard, to a certain degree. And you go out and you do something, you bring a hurt to all those people who are somehow linked to you as part of your life, part of your world. And you wind up really hurting yourself. You have a lot of in-laws that, boy, that were really in love with their son-in-law or either their daughter-in-law. And then something like that happens. And the anger that goes through. They don't even want to even see them again. But they really hurt somebody that they love. You hurt yourself. You hurt yourself. Fornication. At least one is not under the marriage vows, or neither one is married. The people who commit fornication are individuals who are not married. They have no vow, no contract, no commitment to each other. They just enjoy what each other has. And in a sense, what happens in that type of relationship, we use each other to satisfy our so-called need. But there's no contract, there's no commitment, there's no vows. Either one is free to just leave. But this is the amazing thing of this thing. I'm living with you for six months or a year, and boy, we're having all this sex, and we're getting along, and you leave, and the girl or the man has the audacity to get mad at you. Well, what contract is there to hold you? What promise have you made? What commitment was made? So if one of us get ready to leave, the other one should not be upset or mad because nobody's made a what? A legal, binding contract or commitment. So that person has a right to leave without the other one being upset about it or upset with them. The thing is, you put a lot of false hope into something that was not a reality. You put a lot of false hope thinking you were loved when you were not loved. When somebody loves you, they're willing to do what they used to say in the old book, the right things. <laughs> they're willing to commit themselves. When somebody really cares about the other, they're willing to lay their life down on the line and say, this is where I'm willing to be. Fornication is at least one 
is not under the marriage vow, or neither one is married, is fornication. Prostitution, in which that word also, fornication, comes out of. Or prostitution comes out of fornication. Fornicator, that's what it was called before prostitution became. You were a fornicator, man or woman, who was loose with themselves. Uh, you were a fornicator. Out of that word, we kind of like took it up a little bit. In the early 17, 1800s, the word brothel came out. What was a brothel house? Anybody know what a brothel house was? A prostitution house. That's all. That's all. It was where the pimp kept the women, or the women kept themselves in that one house, and the men knew that's where they could come, have their needs met. A brothel house. But the word brothel means a ratchet person, now catch this, to waste away. To waste away. When you live in a fornicated type relationship, you're just wasting away. You're wasting your good years. You're wasting your best years. You're wasting your young years. And as you get older in those types of situations, eventually you're too old where nobody really wants to what? Commit to you. The scripture says beauty is constantly what? Fading. Things begin to happen in both our lives. See, at one time I was a nice looking 145 pounder, had some muscles up in through here, and looking good and sharp. Boy, my bell bottoms and everything. Boy, I knew I was cool. I was bad, could dance, and ooh, boy. They had women lining up on the wall waiting for a dance with me and so on. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. See, James saying, yeah, because James was in that day too. <laughs> the, the whole process, but we got older and something happened here. And, yeah, this happened. And good if I can stand up on one leg, let alone two. See? The whole process is that you waste your good young years in unprofitable relationships. And that's why I said, to waste away, go to ruins, a house of prostitution, fornication. Fornication is always self-pleasure. It's always self-pleasure. It's never about the other person. It's always about self. It's about trying to feel, fulfill something in self. A lack of self-worth in self. Wanting to be loved in self. It's always about self. Fornication is. And it goes into that area. Self-pleasure brings about a broken relationship in which people don't see. Now, tell me, what father here want to hear that their daughter been used by some man the night before? What mother want to hear that her son was used by some girl? It's strange how we look at this now. For the father looks at them, you took advantage of my daughter. The mother is saying, you took advantage of my daughter. Of my son. Because no mother wants their son to go out and father children before he's married. Now men, this is something we have to stop. We cannot protect our daughters at home while we're telling our sons, go get it. Because while you're telling your son to go get it, somebody else across the street is telling their son, go get your daughter. Go get her. You cannot be protecting your daughter by releasing your son and saying, oh, he's free to sow his oats right now. Well, where are you going to sow him at? If he don't take advantage of somebody else's daughter. That's why the biblical principle has to be held between the young man and the young girl that they both are virgins. And both learn how to respect each other. For they don't damage each other for later on in life. But that starts in our homes. 
That starts with teaching in our homes. Don't be giving your son a condom and saying, protect yourself. No! The wrong thing. And then you're telling your daughter, no, you can't go to this party. You can't go to... You have your reasons when you're saying no because you know what's going on. Just because your son can't get pregnant doesn't, doesn't mean he can't pregnate somebody else. And you got the same problem in a sense. You have broken relationships and fornications where parents no longer really can trust their child. They can no longer really trust the child. So you have that brokenness there. Not only the brokenness do you have between the relationship between God and that child or God and that person, you have a broken relationship now between parents. Because what the child doesn't see is the shame and the guilt and all the emotional roller coaster that they put a parent through. But then the trust factor is broken. And once that trust factor is broken, it's hard to believe your child or trust your child. And where you want to have the trust and you want to believe in your child because you're still dreaming for your child. Now you've lost your dreams. And it's a broken relationship between the young man and the young woman. Because usually when people fornicate, very seldom do those people get married. Very seldom do they get together. But they've used each other. Now watch this. We've used each other, but here I come as a young girl and another young man has me... And we're going down the street, but here comes this other young man I just slept with six months ago, a year ago. What emotions flare up? What's happening to those two people that this person don't understand? The damage that it brings. Especially if you're living in an area where most people don't move out from, you got to face those same people that you slept with. But you're not married to or with. So it breaks up that relationship between that man and woman who is fornicating with each other because there's no real commitment there, no real love there, no real care there. The real thing that's taking place, we're using each other. The child suffers if there becomes a child. Why? The goal was not the child. The goal was the other person. The goal was to captivate the other person. It was not to get pregnant. It was not to have a son or a daughter. It was to captivate the other person. A son or a daughter was not even in the picture. So what we hear when you first come about with that, we hear this. It was an accident. Sleeping together is no accident. But you did not intend to have a child. Now what happens to that child psychologically, which oftentimes parents don't recognize that is happening, that child suffers through this whole relationship because number one, the child can't figure out why dad really doesn't want me and why dad wasn't committed to the woman that he slept with that he said that he loved to give what he wanted to give and he got me but what you don't understand is that the child was not part of the plan. The child just came along by accident. That's not what we planned. And because the child came along the psychological effect that goes down now. Watch the difference here between a child that is planned and wanted and a child that is not wanted. You may show that child and you may be trying to prove to that child that you love them, but that child knows in the back of their head that they were not really wanted because they were not really planned for. And that hurts. That hurts. And that stays in that child's room. 
There's time in my office I've had to say to a mother, would you say to your child, you're sorry. Now the child's 17, 18 years old. And even older. But the thing is this, that child knows it was not wanted like a wanted child that was planned for by a mom and a dad who rejoiced and really had a happy time, a rejoicing time, that this child came into the world. That child psychologically knows the difference. And where do they pick up the difference? Now watch this. A lot of single mothers and single fathers will try to go overboard compensating for the guilt that is there. If parents could understand, children would like to say a lot of things, but they're not able to say it. But it comes out in behavior. Their children stuck. Their children captivated. And you bring harm to your own body. That's your body. That's what, who you've given life to. That's your body now. But you look at the pain. Look at the hurt. Look at the devastation. That lasts for a long time. Because the difference is, as much as you try to love that child, the real joy of that child, and here comes a... is not the same as if it was husband and wife who have now planned for this child. And everything is prepared for it. When Tyler came along, boy, I didn't went out because back then you didn't know what it was, boy or girl. But when she came along, I had already put the football in the room. We got the bat. I got the baseball mitt in the room. See? And I did that based on history. Not that I didn't love her, but on history. See, I'm the eighth child. All my other brothers before me always had boys first. I'm the only one in the family that had girls first. Out of 14 kids, a girl first. <laughs> so I just knew it was going to be a boy. <laughs> but boy, when she came, her mom and I loved her just as much. We, we overshadowed with Christmas. I wish you could see some of the pictures of Tyler, because she was the only child for five years. But she was wanted. That makes a difference in a child's life. A child knows in those early years when you're struggling and there's no man there, go up to the daycare if you're a man and sit down with those small kids and watch what happens. They run to you. Why? There's no father figure really in their life. They just come and they want to play with you in the floor. And the number one thing I hear here at the daycare is this. Why don't my father love me? Why don't my father spend time with me? The pain that it caused because of fornication of self-pleasure. The unwanted child, the anger, not only in the child, but the anger in the mother that hangs for a long time. Because the mother feels she was deceived, she was tricked, and there go up guards. Because some young man talked her into sleeping because he loves, no. There's a right way of doing it. If you really love me, there's a right way that we should go about this. If it's not done the right way, it brings on all this guilt and shame and pain and hurt. Confused children, who is my father? Question, why is he not part of my life? He's not there. Impurity, the second part. The impurity or uncleanness that the scripture used. The word is dirt or dirty, soiled, unclean, ceremonially, spiritually unclean. You cannot be used of God. So when it happens even in the church here, that's why Paul is bringing this up. Because Paul recognized that if you're in the church and you're practicing these type of behaviors, that is of the world, not of God's people, you set yourself to the side because now you're impure and God cannot use you. 
Even though you are saved, you're not able to be used. The word impure or unclean is to be soiled. You've been soiled. You've been stained. In the Old Testament, in Numbers 19, it talks about the water, the purifying water, the cleansing water that cleanses. Anything that was made impure had to be washed with this water. Today we're washed in the blood of Christ. How? Lord, forgive me. Lord, wash me of my sin. Lord, purify my heart. Purify my thoughts. Allow the blood of Christ just to wash me anew and afresh. And when you pray that, it happens. It's the blood of Christ that cleanses us. In Ephesians 5.3, well, let's go to Romans 16. We'll hit a couple of these. and Boy, time went away. But let's just hit a couple of these real quick. Let's go to Romans 6.19. Romans 6.19. Because, see, you and I, we have to make choices. Six nineteen. I put this in human terms. Because you are weak in your natural selves, just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurities and to every increasing wickedness, so now offer them to slavery in righteousness. Who has to make that choice? We do. It's our choice. We can live in the flesh. We can live in the spirit. It's our choice. Leading to holiness, if I choose to make my body and my life a slave to righteousness, it will lead me into holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time? From the time you were, you are now ashamed of, those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. The result is eternal life. Ephesians 5.3 Ephesians 5.3 But among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. In my life, there should not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Or of any kind of impurity or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. They're improper for me to live that way, act that way. 419. Ephesians 419. Just cross street from it. He says, having lost all sensitivity. This is what happened what we talked about last week. When you become sexually active, it hits the same part of the brain that drugs hit. And therefore, your body becomes more keenly aware. And that desire becomes more and more. Even to a point it's hard to control depending on what's going on. And he, and, and, and he says there that, boy, having Lost all sensitivity. Now, you you have lost the control here. They have given themselves over to sensuality. I don't want to go that far, but just thinking about sex does what? Arouses. Arouses. If you would remember, why did John the Baptist lose his head? Over some woman's dance. And he aroused himself to such a point that he said, Ask me anything. Men, have you been there? What you want, girl? Most men have been there. When you go back and read the book of Esther, 
We'll talk a little bit more about it next week. Remember what the king said when he saw Esther? He just looked and his mind went, ask me anything. You can have the kingdom. Women, sometimes you forget how much authority and power you have over men. And he says, giving themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a common lust. Now catch this for more. If women could catch this picture about themselves. Men do not care for loose women. That doesn't mean that they won't sleep with loose women. They don't care for loose women. And women haven't caught that picture. The stricter you are as a woman, if that man desires you, the more he'll come into your play. The more you use your authority of your sexual and your, his desire, he'll come to you. You don't have to come to him and run after him. He'll come after you. But as the folks used to say, why go to the store and buy the milk if the cow's giving it free? You lose that sense of respect and value for yourself. Now men, catch this, because this is where a lot of men make a mistake with a woman. Usually once a man has his sexual, he's done. But the woman can go man after man after man after man. And we need to understand this. Men, when you have a faithful wife, you need to treasure that wife. Because you'll never outdo her sexually. And women, when you have a faithful husband, stroke him because he needs it. He's a little child. We need the pampering. That little boy in us will run wild if we're not pampered. And we're not stroked. I better quit here. And we'll pick back up. Because we want to get into the word a little bit more. Of lasciviousness and so forth. And cover this just a little bit more with the rest of these verses. But we need to see. What's happening in our society today. And begin to warn people of the pain and the hurt that they're causing themselves. Causing themselves. Isn't it something? A young man can run around here talking about, I got three, four kids and, and he's not married. Proud of that right now. But boy, ten years later, when they're hitting his paycheck... He's seeing $400, $300 a week going out his little $500 paycheck, and he's giving more out of his paycheck to take care of his kids, and he can only take home $200, but he got to send $300 downtown. That's an angry man. But is it his responsibility? Yeah, it's not ours. And what happens is this here. They don't look down the road. They don't look down the road. Teach young men to look down the road because eventually you got to pay for what you've done. You got to pay for it. And young ladies, at some point you sit with your children, if you've had children out of wedlock, and you apologize to them. That's a hard one. Don't think kids eventually don't figure it out. 
only thing they do is look at their birth certificate, know their birthday, and know when marriage took place and when they were born. Apologize. Apologize. That's hard. But that child's waiting for that. And that child needs to be confirmed. You can't go back and say, I loved you at first. And most likely you really did. But that child know they were not what? Planned for. It just happened. Because the psychological effects that's on that child, that that child has to deal with. The child has to know. They weren't an accident, in a sense. They are loved. But the anger sometimes of what takes place when a man doesn't fulfill what thought was going to take place, the only person that has to take the blunt of that is the child. Is the child. And that's why the confession needs to be made and asked, forgive me. Forgive me. And if you're a father who have children out here, and you have not spoken to your children in some time, and you fathered children, and you have not really read, you need to go and apologize to that child. Because that child wondered, where have you been? Where have you been? We have psychologically damaged many, many young children who one day will father other children but will not be healthy themselves. And only by the grace of God is there an inward healing that really takes place. Let's pray. Father, you know the world in which we live and you know the sin that is going on in so many lives of people. And Lord, we're not here, Lord, to judge anyone per se. But we are here to teach the truth. And it's amazing that Paul was...